Welcome back to Uncorked, another podcast brought to you by Team Corker. I'm stoked to have Dr. Roz on the show this week. She will identify as Roselle Gonzalez. And I think that once you become a doctor, you are always doc first. We met at a very interesting space, a space of privileged folks. And Dr. Roz was the first to make note of just that, the space of privilege and the space that we're in as privileged people and how to hold the space for those that may not be as privileged and for us all to be in one conversation. She gives us reason to pause. She inspires our brains to expand. And if nothing else, gosh darn it, this woman is a cause for curiosity. I really enjoyed this conversation. I feel like it's only the beginning of many more of these conversations and I hope you enjoy it too. So for me, I think it comes down to us needing to be able to hold two seemingly competing truths together in one space. So for example, if we're a group of women who have gotten together to talk about cultivating leadership and accessing opportunities and creating networks and really sort of breaking apart some of those barriers that have created lack of inclusion for us as women, I think we can also hold simultaneously that if we're having those conversations in a really brilliant, prestigious, privileged space where a ticket to entry is, say, for example, $2,000, that we are the 1% of privilege in that room. And what are we doing in our lives and spheres of influence to continue holding ourselves accountable for creating relationships, creating accessibility to communities and groups of folks who will never be part of those rooms. Mm. Most people don't have access to a $2,000 ticket to a really fantastic conference or to a really fantastic place in the world or any of those things that some of us in the corporate space take for granted sometimes. Mm. And we focus on only our experiences of the hardship or the barriers that we come up against. And we forget that the and to that sentence is I experience barriers and I experience privileges, which it is my duty to springboard so that I can create inclusion for others who are experiencing more barriers than I do. Hmm. And so when I engage in spaces, particularly in the professional realm and perhaps in the personal realm too, I really want to engage in spaces that are intentional about creating that elasticity in that space so that multiple truths can coexist. It's not a binary. It's not a good or a bad or yes or no, or, you know, you versus me, that if I keep the door to inclusion for other people who are not like me open, then there's less space in this room for me. That's not how inclusion works. It's not a binary. And I wish we could create more spaces for elasticity Mm -hmm. and maybe some discomfort. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if that's not a mic drop to kick us off, I don't know what is. I mean, we were talking and I had to hit record because I didn't want to miss any truth bomb coming out of Dr. Roz. 
And will you do us the privilege of just hitting pause there and introduce yourself and tell our listeners who you are in whichever way with whatever labels, you know, haikus that matter to you. <laughs> who are you, sweet one? Oh, thank you. Thanks, Steph. Uh, my name is Roselle Gonsalves. My pronouns and use are she and her. I make my home in Amaskwachi Waskahigan, which is the Cree word meaning Beaver Hills House. And that is what we now in modern English would call the city of Edmonton. I am an immigrant. I'm a settler. I am a cisgender woman. I'm racialized. I'm queer and neurodivergent. I am a part-time athlete, a full-time spouse. I am a dog lover. And I think cats hate me. I like growing vegetables in my garden, but can't keep a plant alive inside my house. I, mm. I have multitudes in me stuff. Oh. oh, and and professionally, I have cultivated a beautiful, purpose-driven, value-centered career in the inclusion and equity space. And I'm currently the head of diversity, inclusion, and belonging at ATB Financial in Alberta. Thank you. Welcome to the podcast that we call Uncorked. And the podcast we call Uncorked is meant to uncork conversations that people can't find on Google or Instagram, and perhaps can't even find on LinkedIn. And so we'll ensure that there is a link to you in the show notes because you are writing really meaningful context for us on LinkedIn. And I want to ask the questions that you might not yet have answered on LinkedIn. And it was such a pleasure to meet you. You're my favorite. I ran into you at a bar and couldn't stop talking to you or about you for that matter. And I went and I dug, I dug a rabbit hole on Google to try to find out about you. And you gave me more juice than Google could tell me. And so I was like, we've got to hit record on this. And I love that you have devoted your work as you have. And yet right before you you shared your intro with us, when you speak about Elastic, I want to know about the places or the spaces or the people online or offline that you today experience to be elastic? Who is leading that way for us right now? Mm, what a great question. You know, on a personal level, I will say that as an outgoing introvert, mm. I find that elasticity in my most immediate circle. So my circle of five people whom mm. I would call it an emergency or with my deepest held fears or my heartbreaks. I find that elasticity there because, and you know, I'll, I'll speak to myself as a human. What I'm able to see in those spaces is the opportunity for me to exist both at my biggest and brightest and shiniest and most magnificent and also at my deepest and darkest and smallest and most vulnerable. And the power of having cultivated those spaces of trust is transformative. It allows me to lean into the work that I do and the, the desire to build those spaces more broadly in co-created and collaborative ways, in reciprocal ways. And where I find it most, and I'm going to sound about 93 years old at this point, but Please. where I find it most is with young people. Mm. And as an academic by training, I spent a lot of time in classrooms teaching about big concepts like intersectionality and about 
oppression and marginalization and privilege and all of these conversations that have become real buzzwords uh, in the last little while, but have real world implications to how people live their lives. And in my classrooms where we talk about these concepts, every so often what I have the opportunity to do with students who are often between the ages of 18 and 22. It's their first foray into critical thinking and knowledge building and figuring out who they are. They're still under the age of 25, so their brains aren't you know, fully cooked yet in, in some ways. And so they're creating that elasticity with a purpose, with if I stretch my brain in these ways, then that is the future me that I'm contributing to. And I can't remember where I heard this, so I, I'm, I'm not gonna be able to attribute it accurately, but this idea that think about who your future self wants to be. And then mm-hmm. every decision that you make towards that is a vote for or against who that person is going to become. And I see that with students, with young people, with people who are invested in learning and perhaps people who are invested in lifelong learning. This mm-hmm. understanding that learning is not a linear or unidirectional thing. It is a process by which we take concepts we think we know, put them under a light, and then allow ourselves to hold on to the pieces that hold true under that light, and maybe perhaps discard of things that no longer hold true under examination. So I find it in the classroom. I find it in places where we get to have really meaningful, critical thinking conversations. I find it in spaces where we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, particularly in spaces that haven't always been built to shoulder the weight of vulnerability. Hmm. And I'll give you an example about this. I work in the corporate world, particularly in the financial sector. And historically, and perhaps even contemporarily, the space is quite male, quite white, very, you know, suit and tie, Monday to Friday business hours. And my leadership team and I have been undertaking the systemic hard work of deploying a new model of leadership, of recognizing that leaders owe it not only to the people that we serve, our team members, but also to ourselves to actually create space that has room for us, the person, not just the worker. Mm. And in one of these leadership team meetings where we're, you know, really trying to design and create and analyze and build for the future, it occurred to me, and I shared this with the team, that we were using yesterday's tools to build tomorrow's structures. Mm. And what would it take to build differently? It would require us to do differently and be a little bit differently. So, you know, we've put into practice real authentic storytelling, real authentic bringing ourselves to the table, asking ourselves, what do we need to unlearn so that we can perhaps relearn? And it's in those spaces where people show up willing to get a little bit messy, to get a little bit maybe uncomfortable. That's where I really find the magic of the elasticity of space and grace. Mm. Space and grace and elasticity. I did not know what you were going to say. 
You did not know that you were going to be asked this question. And I paused in my brain after asking and I thought, is there a space? Does it exist somewhere? And as soon as you said the younger generation, I immediately thought about a dear friend of mine who has a nine-year-old and her nine-year-old came home from school and said, I think I like girls, mommy, except no one is straight anymore. It's not cool to be straight. It's cool to be fluid. And how will this work? And she said, got it. So now the generation that is in elementary school does not identify in the same way their parents' generation have identified. And what does that mean for them? And there is a level of acceptance that I don't know that our generation will completely get to. I mean, if we could have a fraction of the acceptance that this younger generation has, and that's a nine-year-old. So then you speak about 18-year-olds and it's like, you know, they're, they're in between the elementary school generation and what does it mean to be a professor now? And so the elasticity is a beautiful word to say just how elastic are you? Are you 18 in your mindset? Are you nine years old in your mindset? Or are you stuck in what it means to be a 40-year-old? And I don't want to declare every 40-year-old to be stuck, yet there are definitely things most 40-year-olds need to be unlearning right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, kudos to that kiddo for having the emotional intelligence to both identify what's happening around them and then also maybe identify that there's a little bit of uncertainty for them because they don't know where they fit and sweet child none of us know where we fit right (laughs) spoiler spoiler yeah yeah and I'm also curious because elasticity is perhaps a cultural curiosity Mm. the willingness to be curious about what we don't know yet what we're mm-hmm. not willing to know yet, what we know what we're not okay with yet, yeah. all of those. And what does knowing mean about what we should be doing? Yeah. Yes, yeah, thank you absolutely. So I want to come back because we both identify as females. We identify as cisgendered women and we recognize also the privilege that comes along with that. And something that I personally feel a little bit triggered by, and I'm going to ask you this question without knowing where we're going, is the notion of women in leadership. Because my wish and desire is that we don't continue to hammer down a binary that I believe I hold space for men to come along, for non-binary folks, for trans folks. And I think for so long as we are now fighting this fight for women, I feel a little stuck in 2012. I'm like, the future is female feels a decade old. The future is and where we all have this intersectionality. And so I know that when asked to speak about this or speak only to women, I do have a reaction that says, why can't we all be in this space together? And to me, it feels like step one to creating more inclusivity. I don't want only male to be a white man in a suit showing up as guess what the title sponsor quote unquote like there's the money I don't want it to feel like it is only for female identifying folks either and so I wonder what your experience is as someone who is in the inclusivity and diversity space yet also identifies as a woman and you are a sought after speaker and you are being sought after to speak on this and 
where do we create the and? Oof, what a question. Steph, there is an and in my response. So wait for it. I'm here for it. I bristle at silos. Mm. I take a quite immediate gut resistance to being pigeonholed into one thing or another. And perhaps that is the beauty and gift and maybe even curse of my life as I always exist between spaces. But when we think about women in leadership, what comes up for me is that while I am a woman, yes. And while I am a cisgender woman, yes. So lots of privilege there. My leadership is my leadership not a woman-flavored leadership. Now, Mm -hmm. my leadership style may have been impacted by the experiences of being socialized as a woman in the world, which comes with both its pros because we become socialized to think collaboratively, to work uh, across silos, to work in more networked ways of doing things. These are socialized traits. They're not biologically inherent. What that then creates is a different style of leadership, which then somehow becomes attributed to our womanness. But those two, they're correlative, but they're not always causative. They're not similarities. It's like similes. We've overlapped them incorrectly as similes, and they are not. They are not. And so the end of my statement here, which I promised, is that When a group of people has experienced systemic, ongoing marginalization within the systems that we all exist under, there is something quite powerful in creating spaces where those people within the community, so in this case women, can come together and see shared reflections of themselves because the system exists to gaslight us into thinking that there's nothing wrong. The system exists to gaslight us into thinking that we should be a certain way or we should dress this way or should act that way. And frankly, I'm tired of being shit all over. I want for us to recognize that we have been shaped by the systems we live under. So there is power in creating reflections for one another within those those communal spaces. My note, my addendum here that I would add is the danger of that in only being within those communities and only being identified because of the stripe you fall within is that to your point, we are not creating more space at the table for non-women, for example, to be a part of, whether that be folks from the gender diverse communities who are not men, or not cis men rather, or even cis men who have historically been pitted as the other when we think about first, second, third wave feminism. I think what you're hearkening to, this idea that everybody have a seat and a voice to be able to do this work. I want to hear more men talking about equity and inclusion. That is a philosophy that as a practitioner, I subscribe to because I do believe that we can all lift the conversation in our own ways. And we are seeing the mountain from different perspectives. 
Some of the greatest mentors for me have been people who are so distinctly different than my own lived experience that they invite me to consider a perspective outside of my own. And what mm-hmm. a powerful gift to be able to give one another in that way. This is a long addendum. And I want to say that the conversation about women in leadership in particular, just women and seeking equity within a patriarchal system, particularly in the West, has become so focused on the marginalization experienced because of gender that we have closed the door on examining the compounded and intersectional marginalizations of women who also experience racism, who also experience transphobia, who also experience disability oppression, who also experience and, 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 and. And so it has become a conversation of until I can't achieve equity and equality, no one else can. And it becomes a bit of a closed door tokenized conversation. And that's where I think my gut reaction of resistance often comes from. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I'm just going to reflect back when I hear that it feels big. It feels like, well, where do we begin? And the ands feel like a lot. And rightfully so, they are. And so I want to know to our listeners, what is one thing, or maybe it's three things that we can do to be a part of the elastic, to be a part of stretching our mind, stretching our garden, where can we stretch? And the secret is that we never want the elastic to break because that will keep us in different places. I want to know how we can contribute so that if you're listening and it feels big, or perhaps it doesn't feel big to you, it just, you don't know where to start yourself. What can we do, Dr. Roz? Ooh, so there's a couple things. My first degree was in neuropsychology. So I know a little bit about the brain. And what I know to be true about the brain, and we talked about the fixed mindset earlier, is that the more you stretch your brain, the more you will be able to stretch your brain. And so the more that you actually challenge things that you know for sure, the more that you will be comfortable accepting an outcome where maybe you don't know those things for sure. Mm. And I, once again, have an idea in my head that was offered to me by a brilliant human, and I cannot remember who it was, so I'm not going to be able to attribute it. But they start off with this premise of saying, what do you know to be true? Absolutely true without a doubt. And, you know, something simple like one plus one is two. And then they say, well, if you look up in the sky and you see two clouds and then you watch the wind blow them together and they join up, is that two? Mm. No. So even the most basic of our knowledges cannot be distilled down to an assurance. And so my invitation to your listeners is to cultivate within yourself a safety in stretching your brain so that you're okay when it's a little bit uncomfortable. It's okay for you to have believed something a certain way your whole life and then re-examine it. Maya Angelou said, when you know better, you can do better, right? So the first part of that equation is that we have to continue wanting to know better, to know different. 
And even if it's that we come back to the original idea that we had, at least it's substantiated by our exploration. The other thing that I would say, and this is completely opposite, not opposite, but perhaps stylistically different, is start with one. Start with one conversation, one good relationship. Get to know people for who the person in front of you is. And rather than collating that information to a wider group or copy and pasting it based on identity, I really wish we would sit across from one another and just listen, deep listening. Listening to understand, not to change minds, listening to here. And I think that that would create such an opportunity for us to take in information without it creating a challenge to our system. Mm -hmm. If we can listen without it impacting our sense of self or our sense of worthiness or our sense of dignity. Ego. I think we get, yeah, our ego, that monkey brain that's always chattering. I think that we just create so much more space mm-hmm. and that space of elasticity that, you know, of both and not either, or I, I want to share a, a funny anecdote and you're welcome to use it or not. But recently I was at a hotel and I went down to the lounge where they have kind of like an evening happy hour with some snacks. And there was a beautiful charcuterie plate and some pork spring rolls and some veggie dips and delicious. And I've been traveling all day. I was so hungry walked up to the food platter and I was about to make myself a plate. And the man who was attending to the bar came up to me and said, oh, miss, I don't think you can eat any of this. Just stick to the veggies. And I kind of just, you know, looked at him and I was curious. And he said, oh, everything else has pork in it. (laughs) And I was curious because I assume, but I don't know that this man has perhaps coded me because of my brown skin as a person who is Muslim. Hmm. And I'm not Muslim, so I do eat pork. But it was interesting to me because the intent behind his action was actually quite caring. It was actually quite intended to create for me some protection. He wanted to show me that he knows about dietary restrictions. But the impact with which that landed was, you just see me as one of a greater whole that you haven't humanized yet. So when we create elastic spaces, we create spaces to humanize one another rather than create categories that don't fit for everyone. Mm -hmm. Magic. You know, as you were speaking, I couldn't help but think about my puppy. I have a two-year-old Bernadoodle and I'm obsessed with him. His name's Bernie. And I think there's so many life lessons to get from Bernie in in this lifetime. I'm certain he is my pup for so many reasons. And one is his relationship with male identifying people. He does not necessarily run to them and he runs to everyone else. And he also will run, especially to people that might not love him. He knows, and he is in your face and says, love me. And he has a resiliency, like, he's so naughty and everyone says I haven't trained him well enough and it's my fault. And I was like, no, he just knows that he's naughty and he's going to do it again. And this isn't about training naughty. It's about training me 
to let him show up in the right ways. And instead, I just let him keep showing up. And I think it's actually a really beautiful thing of where he energetically gravitates to. And I just think there are lessons in this unspoken, pure love bundle of puppy that as I'm listening to you speak, I was like, there's so many things here that Bernie can teach us. And so I wonder too, where we can go to learn that does not necessarily always need to be so human. And perhaps we can bring that back into human spaces and interact in different ways. And whether, you know, you're the sweet kiddo that's nine or your students or the people that we work with, the perspective of almost an out of body, out of human experience and say, we're both giants on mountaintops. And what do you see? And I tell you, like Bernie has never met a mountaintop that he did not see something magical at. And he'll look out and I'm like, I wonder what he sees right now. He finds things to look at through a different lens. And so I'm so grateful for your time. And I'm grateful that our short and brief interaction allowed me to pause and look at mountaintops differently really. And I know there's so much more here. So we're going to end this recording and make sure there are links for everyone to find you. And I know this is only the beginning of many other very, very juicy podcasts. And hopefully you'll come back onto the show too. And I just want to say thank you for everything that you're doing in the world and the conversations and the perspective that you leave us with. It's really, really incredible. Thank you for having me. The honor has all been mine. 